0: Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Haley. And this week's episode on academic diving is Is to dive for. Hey
1: Sydney. Hey Haley. I'm here with our marine science news piece of the week. Are you ready? I'm so excited. (laughs) So this week we're talking about an article that was published by The Guardian and it was talking about some work that was done by some chemists at Scripps Oceanographic Institute within the UC system and basically this work was looking at trying to measure bacterial concentrations in sea spray Oh, like the mist that comes off like from ocean waves? Exactly. So basically, they were capturing the sea spray and trying to see if there was any uh, anthropogenically sourced bacteria in it, things like E. coli or salmonella that are commonly associated with human populations. And they found that there actually was a pretty high concentration. Um, It's pretty uncertain yet whether people could actually get sick from these kinds of concentrations, but they think it might be sourced from large runoff events like rain events wiping this
0: into the ocean system and then it getting blown back onto the the shore yeah so it's not really like going off and dispersed in the ocean it's kind of sticking around that surf zone coastally
1: yeah that's what it seems like at least like soon after these storm events so that's pretty crazy it's pretty interesting it has a lot to do with like the runoff has a lot to do with kind of the work that i look at and the way that uh, runoff and coastal salinity impact coral health, so uh, just on the opposite coast, so yeah. thought that was cool. That's super cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Special guest, you ready?
2: Let's do this.
1: You're going to introduce yourself
3: for me?
2: Sure. Uh, hi, guys. Um, my name is Alec Lightman. Um, I'm a good friend of Haley, and I'm Sydney's boyfriend, <laughs> and I'm happy to be on the podcast. It's Woo-hoo. been... A couple of weeks in the making and here we are.
0: (laughs) So will you go ahead and tell everyone your pronouns and then after that give us a little info on where you're from and where you live now.
2: So my pronouns are he and him and I'm originally from Long Island, New York. I have grown up on Long Island and I um, currently live in Fort Lauderdale because that's where I'm finishing up my master's degree and yeah. Super cool.
1: So you're finishing up your master's degree. What is your degree in? What do so you study?
2: I study the ocean. Cool. I am um, within the environmental science graduate program at Nova Southeast University, and I'm finishing up in May.
0: That's super cool. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. So to um, start off the podcast, we always ask our participants, what drew you to the water?
2: So ever since I was a little boy, I um, originally became fascinated with this book about sharks that you guys have probably seen before. Um, So
1: you were interested in this book?
2: Yes, um, I don't I don't know who it's written by, but it was just a book that I had in uh, my house when I was growing up, and it just had a plethora of different shark species.
1: <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> was it like an encyclopedia?
2: Um, yeah, it, it basically had these different species and just information about where they are found in the ocean, and then just a plethora of photos of like threshers, great whites, Um, Like the Greenland shark, makos, like everything you can think of. And I basically just read that book over and over and over again. And um, I was just super fascinated with that. And I was not really focused on marine science or marine biology until I got into the latter half of high school.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: When I took a marine bio course, which was a little bit of a joke at the time. It was just kind of like... Came up, some teacher within the science department took it, and everyone in the class was just kind of like, okay, I'm just taking it just to take it. But I was kind of like the only one in the class who was focused on what was actually being taught, Mm -hmm. and that was my original kind of exposing myself to the discipline and was like, okay, this is really interesting. I want to continue on this potentially um, in in undergrad. So
0: So. did you initially want to study sharks then?
2: No, I, I kind of, so going into undergrad specifically, I initially was like, oh, like my cousin, he's an architect, maybe I can do that. I kind of floated with the thought of going into anatomy. And then I was like, I really enjoy science, Mm -hmm. whether it's environmental science I took in high school, earth science in eighth grade, like just Mm -hmm. fascinated with those topics. And I was like, okay, I really love science but the ocean is so fascinating to me because of the plethora of trips I've been on with my family mm-hmm. that let me just do marine biology and just see where it takes me.
0: Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. That's I feel awesome. like that's a cool story too because you kind of figured it along, figured it out along the way and mm-hmm. you just like didn't instantly know that's what you wanted to do. It took you a bit to try out different things and I think that's important for everyone listening like you might stumble upon marine science or diving at some different point in your career. It doesn't always have to be the first thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I have like a weird counter story to that. It's Go ahead. not quite as like wholesome as yours, but when I was young... <laughs> is,
2: is mine wholesome?
1: It's pretty wholesome. Okay. You're pretty wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> when I was young though, I was probably in like mid high school and I knew I was... I was good at science, and I loved science, and I was good enough at math, right? Um, but I also knew that I, like, had a really strong stomach, and I could, like, tolerate lots of weird, you know, I don't know, things that most people don't think like are great. Like, dissections. And, and like, <laughs> like, blood didn't bother me. Yeah. And, you know, seeing you know my friends get hurt and whatever like I would be Mm -hmm. calm enough to go help them through it where like lots of my friends would be like concerned at blood or broken bones or whatever right so I decided that because I you know as I said it in my head at the time because I'm smart and I can tolerate blood I should probably go into medicine like that's just probably what I should do and then I discovered um that I also have a stomach for like cutting up fish and all the like random gross things you have to do in marine science or like coral mucus for your projects, yes or like when I used to work at the aquarium and chop up like gallons and gallons Mm. of fish and shrimp every day and so I figured out that's where my skills could be useful but yeah when I was young I was like well if I'm smart and I can tolerate blood I guess I better be a doctor yeah it's my duty
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we know that you don't study sharks then, and you're not an architect, and you don't study ah. anatomy. <laughs> and you're so? not a doctor. <laughs> so yeah. what is your current job or position?
2: So throughout my time um, within the graduate program at NOVA, I have someone on a non-thesis track, mm-hmm. and originally I was like kind of distraught. Mm -hmm. and was kind of brought down and was like, all right, this is not how, you know, it's not going to plan. Yeah. And since then, I've actually enjoyed it because Mm. I've had so much extra time in my schedule to not just take classes and just do that, but then focus on volunteering for other labs or doing other positions. So currently, I work as a dive instructor, part of the academic diving program uh, within the university, I've also volunteered with a handful of research labs within the university as well.
1: Super cool. Yeah, Yeah, that's really unique. Not a lot of schools have programs like NOVA's academic diving program. Um, And just for people who don't know, people who are listening, um, not only is NOVA's academic diving program very unique in nature, uh, but it also puts out really, really top level divers. So... Um, they just have a really good reputation for putting out high-level divers who are very competent and capable mm-hmm. in the water, mm-hmm. who have a extensive education and extensive experience in the water before they ever are passed in certification. Yeah. So um, NOVA's academic diving program is pretty incredible, and it's super cool that you get to be a part of that program. Yeah,
2: I think it's it's unfortunate that these types of programs are not running in other universities and yeah. how it's just kind of like oh we're just we have this amazing program at nova but i just feel like there's such a disconnect because the industry of just diving mm-hmm. separate from uh science it's just focused on dive shops and just churning yeah. out like
1: lots like
2: of yeah. yeah so i feel like the program has really focused on not being a machine to just pump out really good divers, but then utilize and kind of fill in the gaps where these students have come from dive shops mm-hmm. and professionals that also come into the program mm-hmm. where they're missing these steps and we kind of fill in the gaps to make them an even better dive professional yeah. um, or diver. Yeah.
0: yeah that's I like how you cool. said that. Yeah. So you guys do classes all the way from open water up to instructor,
3: right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the program was started by Tech Clark like 15 or 20 years ago. I, I don't know the exact history of it, um, but definitely when I was you know in high school, this was kind of beginning to, to be brought about. And he initially started a program with the University of Florida on the West Coast. And he brought that to NOVA when he came here, and he's now the associate director of the program. And basically, within the past ten years, the program has grown from serving handfuls of students to serving hundreds of students just in the last like couple of semesters. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny we just we have this dive locker that we operate out of, and it's just like a ten by fifteen little scrawny <laughs> like it's basically a concrete block, and um, it's just incredible how we're able to build. These students from the ground up, mm-hmm. out of this little tiny locker, and kind of hold the standard, which should be the baseline <laughs> of of diving, yeah, and, and and bringing about you know good divers within yeah. the field of you know science, science, yeah,
1: that's super cool. So who are your students usually, and what kinds of things beyond just recreational diving are you preparing these students to potentially do? Right, so. Um, me, as an instructor, I'm often just preparing my students to safely enjoy a recreational dive, mm-hmm. which in many cases, they'll have other dive professionals in the water, or they'll have a buddy that was trained with them. Um, but in your situation, is it the same or is it any different?
2: It's similar, but because it's within an academic, like within a university, we incorporate um, a bit more instructor-to-student interactions where we have, like, dedicated classroom time with them rather than just throwing them in e-learning and then seeing them a little Mm -hmm. bit just so we can get the, you know, get them through the certification. So the focus is incorporating that academic part of it into it. So you have these undergrads that are coming in that are majoring in marine bio and they don't know whether they would love to study in the ocean. They can utilize this program to become open water certified when they're a freshman continue through the program up until they're a senior where they can go all the way from open water to instructor or then we also recently have had classes where we actually can steer off and there's a new like citizen science class Whoa. that's being taught and introduction to like underwater like scientific diving
0: oh. not
2: a us but just an intro class where
0: They can, like, get experience, like, task loading and, like, what to expect using, like, different pieces of equipment. Yeah, and
2: begin to show them a potential transition they can make from the recreational kind of field into Mm -hmm. scientific diving underwater.
0: I think that's that's important because not a lot of programs even offer scientific diving. So if you can give people at least a taste of it.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, and I think, too, that um, oftentimes... Maybe not all the time, but I I have experienced people really underestimating the amount of challenge that task loading can bring underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, And additionally, the amount of challenge that task loading can bring when exposed to challenging environmental factors, Mm -hmm. right? So um, I can task load all day long on a shallow, high-vis, whatever, dive, But when you put me in a deeper situation where each breath is sucking a little more air or when you put me in a situation where I'm kicking against a current and you're more likely to um, breathe more quickly, which can cause your mental state to be altered. Right. Like just Mm -hmm. physiologically speaking, when we breathe rapidly, it induces anxiety. Right. And so um, I just I think that people can often underestimate The challenges brought with these challenging environmental factors in addition to task loading and using like attaching multiple pieces of equipment Mm -hmm. to yourself and having to maintain buoyancy and good control of your body position. Um, So I think that like additionally, like scientific diving is challenging and I think that exposing people to that slowly and little
0: by little could be a really effective way.
1: To train people, you know?
0: And if people, even if people don't end up being scientific divers, that course has got to just make you so much better at your buoyancy and task loading. I'm sure it makes divers even better. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, a lot of divers task load by bringing a camera underwater.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I'm sure that, you know, having to learn to task load correctly and still be very cognizant of other things around you Probably even makes you a better photographer, better yeah. recreational yeah. diver. You know, yeah.
2: and I think showing them that it's not just going onto a reef, looking around, and then leaving. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many aspects of diving that people tend to overlook, with their buoyancy and their position in the water, and that's just like touching on a little bit of like recreational diving, not even incorporating scientific diving. So I think it's important for students when they're so young which is something that I wish I had the opportunity to be exposed to, Mm -hmm. Um, just to have them taste like that type of diving and and which everything comes into play just to make them a better overall diver in the water.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these courses, students can also, they get credit for through the university, right? Mm -hmm. So your
1: students are usually students of the university though, correct?
2: Yeah. We've had in the past, Or before I was in the program, Um, they were teaching people outside the university, but then they stopped it, and then this upcoming summer, of 23, they're going to resume that. Oh, nice. Um, But yeah, the majority of them are undergraduates. Sometimes we get a graduate student here and there. It's kind of funny to see a familiar face in the pool.
3: That's cool. Or
2: see someone that I didn't really talk to in class, and all of a sudden they're in front of me, and now I have to instruct them. Yeah. It just kind of... It's like, oh, you're actually a nice person, and yeah. you're not just like quiet in in the yeah. back of you know biology class or something. Yeah, yeah, so.
0: that's cool. Must be interesting going from like working with your peers in class yeah. to then being their instructor and their teacher.
1: Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah.
0: I've experienced that too. Just like a lot of
1: our peers have taken dive classes with me. Um, granted, recreational dive classes, not you know the same mm-hmm. kind of program that you teach at. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting to go from being someone's peer or oftentimes even looking up to people in lots of Mm -hmm. ways. Like you're someone who knows a lot more about X, Y, Z than I do. But then when it comes to diving, I get the chance to teach them. Like it's a a role reversal, which is, it's really fun. I think it, I think it like adds a new dimension to a relationship with someone, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Yeah. I was just about to say, then I see that person again on campus or they're in a different class. And it changes the dynamic of like an interaction I would have with them completely, like entirely compared to before I taught them to. Then when now they're certified, and now I can be like, "Hey, like, how's it going?" And it's not as uh, yeah, not not as awkward.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. I guess we've been talking about diving a lot, but how did you get into diving? Like, take us through your certifications. Where are you at now?
2: So I. Got certified in summer of 2017, which was just after my first semester of undergrad. And I've been fortunate enough throughout my whole life, I've been to the Cayman Islands like a plethora of times uh, with my parents and my sister. And ever since we've gone, my parents have gotten certified like 1980s, 1990s. Like, mm-hmm. um, they've been scuba certified for my whole life. And being able to see them like diving in the Caimans and I would just be snorkeling at the surface just trying mm-hmm. to like catch their bubbles. I was like, I want to be down there with them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And being able to go to all these different places and being exposed to this side of marine biology that I didn't even realize it was. Then growing up and being an undergrad after your first semester of, you know, taking, you know, introduction, you know, biology courses and stuff. Mm-hmm. It would only help me even more within the field, or back then I thought, to be an asset to me to to actually get certified. Yeah. So I got certified, and I wasn't like, all right, I'll get certified, and then I want to become an instructor. I just got certified because there was so much time from when I you know first was snorkeling with them until my first semester of undergrad,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where I was like, okay, I think I want to consider SCUPA.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and... Finally, like, just Years, reached that so point know. of becoming certified.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. And Where'd you get certified?
2: I got certified in... On Long Island. Okay. Uh, through SDI. Oh. S- 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 that's D. cool. Yeah. I've, I've become a, a... A patty child. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. As,
1: as many of us do. Yeah. So I got
2: certified <laughs> through SDI in 2017. And then... Before I went to study abroad in fall of 2019, um, in the summer of 2019, I got uh, advanced certified.
3: Nice.
2: Through NAWI um, in Pennsylvania. You really
3: jumped around.
2: Yeah. So that's... SDI for open water in 2017, 2019 NAWI, and then finally fall of 2019, I was Patty for yeah. rescue.
1: That's really cool. So, that's that's very unique, and I think it, it gives you experience in so many different uh, certifying agencies mm-hmm. that you really get to see like different curriculums, right? Where yeah. like um, I did almost all of my training through Patty, so for me it was very simple going into instructor because I remembered what I had been taught in my yeah. previous yeah. classes. I remembered how previous classes had been run, mm. um, so it was relatively simple to repeat some of those you know major things like class structure, or, you know, yeah. you know, take quizzes and stuff like that, knowledge yeah. reviews, um, but. It must be really interesting, maybe potentially uniquely challenging, but very interesting to take all those different agencies for different classes.
2: Yeah. As of now, I don't really recall, like, maybe not open water, parts of advanced, now that I'm an instructor, I'm mm-hmm. able to look at like what I would teach yeah. to advanced students and be like, oh, now we did this differently or that differently, right. or they don't include this uh, adventure dive, but, you know, Patty they does.
1: do include this other thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, I think it's interesting to have gone through that. But then again, when I was getting certified, I really didn't know. Yeah. Any, you know, I didn't yeah. know anything different. I was like, okay, sure, I'll SDI, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And looking back, I was like, okay, you know, yeah. I would have done this differently. But I'm glad that, you know, I was certified and it's brought me to where I am today. So.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, and I don't think... That Patty is necessarily the best or only certifying agency. Like whatever you use to get certified, you do that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, And this is like for the listeners: definitely, like don't turn down an opportunity to get certified just because it's not Patty or because it is Patty or whatever. Like the certifying agency, as long as it's a major certifying agency that's accepted fairly ubiquitously around the world, Mm -hmm. and especially the places that you're interested in traveling. Like, don't turn your nose up at a good opportunity, whatever that is.
0: And I would focus more so on the shop and the instructors and what they have to offer. Yes.
1: Cool. So we've heard so much about all of your diving. What do you do besides diving?
2: So um, within the field, I've uh, become gravitated towards the coral restoration field of study. But before NOVA, I, like I said, before I graduated from Roger Roger Williams University... And I mentioned just recently that I went on a study abroad trip to Bermuda. Uh-huh. So I went to the Bermuda Institute of Ocean Sciences.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Really awesome place. And it was a three-month, not internship, like, like as a, a fall student. Yeah, program. Yeah. And it included like coral reef ecology, invertebrate zoology, research diving methods, where I got AUS certified mm. in addition to conducting like your own research. And that was my initial exposure or kind of realization to be like, okay, I want to study corals because this is just incredible. Yeah. To see them in a classroom is something else, but to be in the ocean and actually up close and be like,
3: mm-hmm.
2: oh my goodness, like this little thing is like so cool. <laughs> um, so I, that was my initial exposure to coral restoration. And proceeding undergraduate, I didn't want to go right into grad school and instead i was able to take a gap year so i traveled from long island to the florida keys and i did an internship with uh, crf Mm -hmm. the coral restoration foundation coral based um i did that for three months and was exposed to you know so much more than just what i was what i learned at bios Mm -hmm. but something different other than learning you know taking classes in undergraduate and all that stuff. So in a way, I I knew I wasn't ready for grad school yet.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And I wanted to get more experience to, in one part, kind of beef up my resume. Mm -hmm. But also just learn more about these different organizations that I had heard about, but wanted to get into those shoes and actually learn about them more. Put
3: Mm
0: -hmm. your fins in the the
2: water. (laughs) Get the fins a little bit wet. I like Um, it. And after that, I actually... So I did an internship with CRF for three months, uh-huh. and then I actually went further south in the Florida Keys and went to Moat Marine Laboratory, where nice. I continued to do a a, a restoration uh, internship for three or four months, um,
1: and where you narrowly missed meeting Sydney. Yes, <laughs>
2: um, it all that? worked <laughs>
1: out. <laughs> oh, the beginning. Um,
3: <laughs> cool.
2: Yeah. And then I continued on and went to the other moat. So that moat was in Summerlin Key, Florida. And I went to moat in Sarasota, Florida on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And in undergrad, I took a mammology course, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. And I was like, hmm, I think I want to step away from coral restoration and try manatees yeah
0: just make sure i definitely want to do coral research yeah. no
2: I, I wanted to try <laughs> i initially wanted to try like sharks and rays or dolphins
3: mm-hmm.
2: and manatee like the the manatee research program was what accepted me into their their aquarium and i stuck with that and realized uh, i don't want to do that yeah yeah no it was it was not what i was expecting it wasn't like field based it was more like Working on previous databases uh-huh. and then putting data. And the times that we went out into the field and like were photographing manatees and like sketching them, and it was cool, but just I realized it just wasn't for me.
0: Yeah, and that's important with internships. Like, that's the main reason why people should do them is because you figure out what you don't want to do mm-hmm. and can go try something else new. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep.
1: I did an internship program in high school, like a very short internship program. Um, but the woman at my school who led it, one of the like counselors at my school, always used to tell everyone who got accepted into the program that the best thing that you can learn is that you absolutely hate what you're doing. Yep. Because then you yeah. save yourself a career of doing the thing you hate, yeah. right? So um, yeah, best thing you can learn is that you don't want to do what you just did, yeah. which is cool.
0: Narrow down the field.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So after that, uh, after that internship, I was just like, okay. I'm going to stick with diving. I'm stick with corals, yeah. and that's how it's going to be.
0: So,
1: talking about your work back at Moat and like in in the Keys, what was your favorite part of that work, and like what what kinds of things did you get to be exposed to?
2: Well, it was a continue kind of a continuation because it was a restoration focused program.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, kind of going from CRF to Moat, it was an emphasis on field based nurseries to now land based nurseries. Okay. So, just daily husbandry of their land-based nurseries. I also just decided one day to reach out to the infamous Dr. David Vaughn on LinkedIn. Oh, and I was wow. Like, I didn't say it like this, but I was like, hey, you're like an inspiration to me. And I saw him on Facebook like a couple of years ago or prior, to, prior <laughs> to that. And I was like, I know this guy. So, I just reached out to him being like, hey, I want to just volunteer for you on the side. Because he has his Plantarine Corals Foundation. And he was like, Yeah, sure, come on over. And he was like, Yeah, I'm working on this uh, transportable coral nursery idea with like a, a restoration park. And I was like, Okay, cool. Let's and I met him and I remember sitting down with him and just being like, I need to like pinch myself. I'm just looking at like one yeah. of my inspirations. And he's just like this fun, awesome, down to earth, like coral dude. And then also, in addition to volunteering for him during my time at Moat, I was able to work with him prior to starting grad school at NOVA, and I basically was working with for him and his foundation for four months and was able to actually go to the Virgin Islands and assist with assembling a water system for the university there. But it was really incredible just to be able to go from volunteering for him and then suddenly being hired on as his technician for his foundation, which was just... It just cemented.
0: Coral puns, cemented.
2: Ah. <laughs> it just cemented realizing that I, I'm in the right field of study.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so in grad school now, too, the labs that you volunteered with, will you tell us a little bit about them and what they do?
2: Sure. Yeah, so uh, in summer of 2022, I volunteered with Dr. Brian Walker's Uh, GIS and spatial ecology lab Mm -hmm. in addition to volunteering for uh, Dr. Joanna Figueroa's larval ecology lab Mm. and basically was helping in both of both of those labs throughout the summer with Dr. Walker's lab. Um, I assisted with these monthly monitoring field um, days they were going on Mm. and just being able to go out on the boat and just assist with those monthly monitoring of these massive, massive colonies like these colonies were i don't know as huge as my car and my car is really small yeah. or like as, as big as your car mm-hmm. like just huge colonies just out in the ocean
0: and they're not very common anymore no
2: or... no and it was just incredible just to be able to assist with taking photos for for analyzing them um and just being able to to be out in the boat and seeing what they do as a lab that's awesome And then I also assisted with uh, Dr. Figueroa's lab with their larval ecology. And that was basically working on their land-based nurseries and all of the kind of corals they have in these plethora of tanks right outside the Oceanographic Center. In addition to a handful of um, corals they have in their laboratory and assisted with spawning watching. Wow. So basically, and assisted with spawn watch of the roles they have in the lab, and then also helped out with um, thesis field work with retrieving colonies from the field.
0: Nice. So. That's super cool. Okay, so it seems like you've been drawn to doing field work. What would you say about your job and doing field work is so captivating to you?
2: I think just being, I, I love field work, even though there's always the laboratory or land-based aspect of coral restoration but i just love being in the water just as as you both really enjoy it Mm -hmm. um whether it be recreationally or scientifically any of the two just being able to be out in the water doing something is just just a really big joy of mine
1: yeah Yeah. that's amazing i think for me not that this question was for me but no you go girl answer it anyway Um, for me, my favorite thing about fieldwork is the, as I've put it in several essays I've written before, (laughs) the improvisational nature of fieldwork, which is just that you constantly have to be on your toes Mm -hmm. because things are always changing and nothing ever goes according to plan perfectly. Um, so that, that said, you always have to bring backups of everything, bring duplicate or triplicate. You have to label things three times and then take photos of the labels because what if the ethanol wipes off, <laughs> off the Sharpie, you know? Um, so I think that having to constantly be super prepared, but at the same time, be able to work on your toes and and change the plan at a, at a yeah. second's notice, mm-hmm. right? Just being able to be that flexible. Um, I think is super interesting to me, both the preparedness and the flexibility with changing the plan and changing mm-hmm.
0: what you've prepared. I uh, think that's probably also why you both make good instructors or are drawn to yes. scuba instruction for those exact reasons. Yeah. <gasps> fun question time. Alright. Rapid
1: rapid fire question, fun time. You ready? All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest thing on your travel and dive bucket list or they're like top two or three
2: um as is everyone's but dive in the great barrier reef yep of course i wouldn't say it's like a big part of the bucket list but dry suit certification
3: oh super because
2: fun. it opens up so many more like so many it opens up so many more areas to dive in yeah because right now like i'm a big weenie when it comes to like Getting cold.
3: Yep. <laughs> and
2: I'm, I'm like the only one wearing a five mil and everyone else is wearing a three or like like a one. And I'm just like, I am shivering in my five mil. So if I have to go to somewhere else and I have to wear a seven mil, like I'd rather just bite
3: wear the bullet seat. and just
2: become like dry suit certified. Um, so yeah, that's just part of it because there's so many other places you can dive like Iceland,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, as you guys have talked about previously, but Being able to dive in between the tectonic plates.
3: Yeah. It would just
2: be, like, unreal to just be there. Yeah. Because I've I've always done my diving, like, the east coast of the U.S. Yeah. And nowhere else.
3: It's good
0: that your dive and travel bucket list is lining up with mine. Oh, (laughs) good. Good. Good.
1: That's useful. I hope so. Those are, like, first date questions, right? Like, hi, (laughs) what are your dive and travel bucket lists, and can we make ours align? I
2: think... I think we talked about that.
0: (laughs) I think we talked about that on our first date. Our whole first date was just talking about diving. (laughs) That's how you know it's real. Where did you get certified and through what agency?
2: What about you? Oh, you're (laughs) Naui. Nah.
0: (laughs) I am (laughs) Naui.
1: I know you are.
2: Uh,
0: Excuse me. What are your opinions on touching coral reefs? Oh, I got another good first date question for Alec. What is your favorite coral species? And Why? And the follow up is, what is your favorite marine
2: organism? <laughs> Copophilia natans, at least recently. I've just seen them in the field and I'm just enamored by them. <laughs> Other than, at, at least right now, I, I, I like the, you know, an OFAV or MCAV just because even though they're overlooked, they're still pretty awesome.
1: So these code names that Alec is using, top secret, um, within coral restoration or like coral science in general, we use what's called the Agra name, or the Agra code, and basically it takes the first letter of the genus name, so O for Orbicella, and then the first three letters of the species name, so Fav for fabulata. So Orbicella fabulata would be O-fav, montastria
0: cavernosa is M-cav,
1: and P-cli. so on. Um, P-cly.
0: P-cly, yeah. Yeah. And- these codes basically just make it easier to conduct surveys, so you're not writing out the whole scientific mm-hmm. name in Latin every time you see a coral. Yeah. Right.
1: So, yep. yep. We do love a good, a CNAT, a copophilia natans. <laughs> okay, okay, what's your favorite marine organism? Is it corals? No. Oh, what is it? Ooh. The T.
2: Like a family of octopus.
1: Ooh, like
2: octopus, cuttlefish.
1: Okay, so like cephalopods. Yeah,
2: just being able to watch documentaries on them and seeing how they like change their like I don't know they can morph into like this little walking creature. Yeah, and then the next minute they're like camouflaged on a rock or something. I just think it's incredible, and I actually wanted to study them at one point, and I could potentially still do that, but that's right now just focusing on coral. But yeah, octopus are. Just incredible. Yeah. And there's so much that we just still don't know about them, even Mm -hmm. though.
0: They're so smart,
1: wildly intelligent. Crazy. I really love squid. And I think mm-hmm. I only like squid more than octopus because I've had more experiences with like squid. In our dives in Bonaire, mm-hmm. amazing squid. And you can get really close to them and they'll do like behaviors with each other. Like they'll, mm. they'll respond to other individuals. They're usually found in like large groupings. And they'll hang in the water column at like certain depths based on everyone else, right? They'll get in a line and... Every squid will be six inches higher than the previous squid, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they'll all change colors like a little symphony. It's incredible. We might be able to post some videos that Sydney and I have.
0: We got a video. It looked like two of them were doing, like, a mating dance. Yes. And they were both different colors and kept switching and, like, chasing each other around. And it was probably one of the coolest experiences
3: yeah.
1: underwater. They let us get pretty close to them, too, and we're just, like, completely unbothered by it. And one of them would turn white, and then the other one would turn white. And the other one that wasn't white was, like, dark brown. Yeah. It was really incredible.
0: That's
1: awesome. Do you have any, like, favorite stories from the field? Either work or just, like, a dive trip or... A- a pleasant one or a crazy one?
2: Um, I think just the the reefs in Bermuda were pretty incredible. Um, unfortunately, they were just a tier above the reefs we have here in Florida. Uh-huh. But what blew me out of the water...
3: Whoa! <laughs>
2: ...was <laughs> the reefs that I saw in Cayman. Yeah. Um, it was...
1: What island in Cayman were you diving? Grand Cayman. Okay.
2: And Sydney and I were diving off of the south end of the island. And they were just, like, taking a video or, like, photographing them, like, does not do it justice whatsoever. And I wasn't expecting to see the uh, just immense topography. Mm -hmm. Just these, like, underwater mountain ranges, basically. But these huge, like cheating corals with OFAV and MCav and all the others and we were diving off the east end and we were about like 80 feet down and just being able to look around and just take a second like in addition to the dive being awesome the dive master was like just rushing through all like the entire reef and I was like dude like chill out man. Cat oh.
1: peeve. <laughs> Ugh that's my <laughs> scuba spoon. ick. Ugh. That scuba is my ick. scuba ick.
2: It's like, go slow. Like, you can stay in one area of a reef, look at, like, you know, a five by five little piece of reef and just stay there the whole time. You do mm-hmm. have to go swimming, like, on the other side. Like, you're fine. So I basically just was able to just look around and just be like, holy crap. Yeah. Like, this is incredible. And then we also saw two reef sharks.
0: That's super cool. Yeah. What about the site was, like, so unique It made you love it so much?
2: Just the topography.
0: The most serious question on the podcast. What is the best dive boat snack? And don't say tofu. Raw tofu.
1: (laughs) You heard it Uh, here first,
2: folks. Sauteed tofu (laughs) with garlic and onion and soy sauce. I do. Um, That's good. But I used to really enjoy eating just like a crisp apple. Hmm. I don't know. Something about just having like a crisp, like crunchy, like fruit, like apple after a dive. But recently I've been taking uh, like peanut butter filled pretzels from Trader Joe's out on the boat. And just that like salty, mm-hmm. like peanut buttery is just like, it's so good after a dive. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a good one. I have those a lot. I like them.
2: Other than dried mangoes. Yeah. What about you guys?
1: So the boat that I'm out on for like instructing all the time has a little snack
0: box. I was and just thinking about their snack box. I call it the box of Etos because they have yes! Fritos, Doritos,
1: Cheetos, like an
0: of... all the Eidos. Yeah. yeah, the Eidos are the best dive snack besides yes. dried mango. Well, my
1: favorite is the one that I won't let myself purchase at the store because I will legitimately eat, eat the whole bag. An entire like my parents used to ship these to me in like a gallon size carton to college. And I would just sit and eat them. I gained, like, 15 pounds of goldfish my freshman year. (laughs) It was so bad. So anytime I'm at the Edo's box and there's a little bag of goldfish, I know that I can't eat five gallons of goldfish on the dive boat. So it's, like,
0: built-in self-control for me. Of course your snack of choice would be related to fish and the ocean. Naturally. I can't eat real fish, but
1: (laughs) goldfish I'm here for.
0: So you kind of mentioned one of your idols earlier, but who are your dive idols or marine science idols? Do you have any? If not, that's totally okay.
2: Mm. Uh, well, I think everyone always chooses Jacques Cousteau. Um, we haven't had anyone yeah, to say, say that it. one yet. Really?
1: Yeah, talk about him. Tell us. Why do you love him? Ooh, geez.
2: Um, uh, Jacques Cousteau, even though the entire world chooses him, Um, as an idol, I don't know, I just, I just think, um, I can't imagine having to create an underwater, like, breathing apparatus for the first time, Mm -hmm. something that's just not known to man, and then suddenly create it and have to, like, test it out without knowing the potential consequences. Um, I just watched a really interesting video the other day about the aqualung, and how it was, how it came about, and... It was just incredible to see, like, the first, like, Aqualong that he created and and just how everything was more than 100 years ago. Like, yeah. less than, a, like, like what, 60, 70 years ago? Yeah. And just to think about how everything we have within the scuba diving industry is just completely changed mm-hmm. immensely.
0: But also still born from that.
2: Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah,
0: yeah that's really
1: incredible. I think, obviously, he made really big strides in the scuba
0: world
3: mm-hmm. yeah I mean, one
0: might say he made mm. giant strides oh. <laughs> um ocean puns <laughs> also just like the fact that he created that and then was probably the first person to see mm. some mm. of these ecosystems and critters like i just feel like that's gotta be an amazing experience it's like going to the moon for the first yeah. time yeah. but
2: then being able to broadcast. That to the whole world with his television series and yeah. just igniting a you know a passion in generations of so people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I always like to say that the ocean is a world that most people don't see below the surface, so they don't even know what's there. Yeah, but it is a world that everybody is
1: impacted by. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: it's pretty incredible. So speaking of pretty incredible, you've had a pretty incredible career so far. Pretty cool stuff that you've been doing. What what keeps you coming back? What's gonna keep you coming back?
2: Um, I think just my passion to work within the field and being able to do something that I love, um, in addition to just like an endless curiosity I have with the ocean, whether it be with scuba diving on coral reefs and 30 feet of water to learning about hydrothermal vents. At the bottom of the ocean, um, so I think just like an ever expanding passion or curiosity or whatever you want to call it um, for the field and to just always be a student of it, um, I think that's what kind of keeps me going every day and will bring me back to it for you know as long as I, as long as I'm alive.
1: Oh, I love it! That's so great. Well, thank you for coming on our podcast, oh, yeah. Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks
2: for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I'll be back soon.
1: You'll be back soon. Eventually. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh. All right. When to uh,
2: like do like a five years from now and then see where I am.
0: All
3: right. <laughs> then uh, and <laughs> now. Alec Lightman.
0: <laughs>
1: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our fish tales episodes those will come out about once a month and you can find the form to submit your stories
0: online our website is under title there's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast and if you hit that link we also have merch for sale And you can also find us on Instagram at Todive4Podcast and on Facebook as well.
1: Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye.
0: If you're hearing this, you stuck around long enough to hear our fish fact of the day. This one's about squid. So the living colossal squid, which is the largest squid, has possibly the largest eyes that have ever existed during the history of the animal kingdom. So their eyes are actually the size of a soccer ball, which is insane. So yeah, thanks for listening. Bye! (laughs)
3: Shotsy! She's like, let me jump on the microphone. Podcast! Okay. (laughs)